believe in what the church is to do. And uh, today we're going to talk about the fact that the, the church is our spiritual family and, and, and what that means in, in our lives. Now, what, what we're talking about today, uh, in theory, I think, ought to be one of the easiest messages to accept that you've ever heard. Because we're going to talk about stuff like loving each other and being there for each other and supporting one another, encouraging one another, taking care of each other, uh, meeting each other's needs and, and, and things like that. And in theory, it's going to sound really good. But I know that in the actual practice of it, in the actual you know, receiving and living out of it, this is going to be a challenging message for some of you. And the thing that I kind of want to start with is, is why. I mean, why do some people uh, have trouble, uh, not some people, some Christians have trouble with the church, or some people are like, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I don't need the church, or I don't need the fellowship of a church, or I don't need to be in, in, in a small group, or, or, or that kind of thing. I mean, why can this be difficult sometimes? Well, let me, let me suggest a few reasons uh, that I think uh, may apply to this. You know, one is people are difficult sometimes, right? Yeah, we may be a family, but family's not always easy. I mean, that don't, don't say men, but that may be true of your biological family at times, right? You know, most families have a crazy uncle, and, and churches may too. You know, uh, one side of my family growing up is a crazy uncle. He wasn't really an uncle, but, like, kids would, like, run and be, like, we'd be in my grandmother's house, and, like, we'd be hiding all over. We would be, like, getting closets, all kind of stuff, because he would come and, like, poke your ear and, like, twist it inside out. It was, like, torture. Um, I mean, he had, like, three teeth. He was the most stereotypical hillbilly of, of all time, and, uh, you know, th there, there may be a person like that here and there uh, around I'm not exaggerating. There may be a person like that, uh, you know, around the church. It may scare people a little bit. I mean, a little more seriously, you may have been hurt in church. Right? A lot of people are like, you know, I don't want anything to do with church because uh, I, I've, I've been hurt in church uh, before. Uh, some people, it may be hard just because of personality. You're more of an introvert, and you're like, well, I don't know if I want to go, go hang around with a bunch of people. I'm more of an introvert, uh, so I can I can understand that. Some people's busyness is like, you know, I, I've got a job, I got a family, I got to taxi kids everywhere. You know, how much time do I really have to invest in in relationships uh, with people at at, at church? Uh, some people I think don't want this because, to be honest, they don't like accountability. And there's accountability that comes in relationships. There's accountability that comes in, in fellowship. And honestly, they want to do their own thing, and they don't want to take a chance on somebody saying to them, hey, you might ought to think about this. I think sometimes it can be wrong perceptions of what fellowship is. Right? If you've been, if, if you grew up in church, you're a certain age, when you hear fellowship, you may think fellowship hall in a church, potluck dinners. You may think back to Bible school and stale cookies and red Kool-Aid, and, and that may be what you think of when you think of fellowship. Um, you may be thinking fellowship, that's people getting together before the service and smoking on the church porch. Uh, that, that may be fellowship. Uh, some people may equate fellowship with gossip and criticism and that kind of thing. 
uh, you know, some people have been taught that Christianity is just between you and Jesus, and, and it's not this community kind of experience. I think also, I'll mention one more reason, I, I think our culture works against us. Now, just, just think about architecture, home building in the United States. You go back a few decades, uh, uh, two or three generations maybe, and kind of the centerpiece of a home was the front porch where neighbors gather together. And then over time it changed where the centerpiece of a home was a living room or a den centered around a screen. Now, maybe you still have family gathering there, and, you know, we have bigger screens than ever now, usually mounted on the wall, and so that, that's still there. But we've moved from big screens to little screens that we hold in our hands. Maybe people, even families, segregated within their own home or people in the same room uh, interacting with the screen instead of interacting with one another. And, and that's not, I'm not saying that's bad necessarily, and I'm not saying it prevents fellowship. I mean, in fact, I've even been on uh, in the last few weeks either Zoom, WhatsApp, or uh, Facebook Messenger uh, video calls with people in uh, Uganda. Uh, Honduras, Guatemala, and from around different places in the United States. So this kind of thing can contribute to fellowship, but I think often, if we're honest, it can contribute to isolation. And so we're kind of fighting against that culturally. So this can be challenging, but, you know, we need it. God, you go back to the Garden of Eden, the beginning of the Bible. God designed us to live in community. He designed us to live in relationship. It's why when Adam was created and was in a perfect, sinless paradise, I mean, everything was perfect, but something was missing. And what was missing was a woman to spend his life with, to be in fellowship with. And, you know, God said it's not good that man should be alone. The fact, you know, we just sang about the Trinity, God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That means that God has, etern has eternally been in relationship and fellowship with himself and we're made in the image of God which means we are designed for relationship and, and, and fellowship I mean bad things happen when we're not babies can die literally without physical touch people do some of the stupidest things they ever do in their lives when they're lonely God made us for this and you know sin breaks fellowship we need truth. We need accountability and correction. We need encouragement and practical help in difficult times. We need each other. You know, Satan thrives when we're in isolation. You know, there's nothing magical about walking through the doors of a church building. That's part of the point of the title of this series, More Than a Building. You know, people talk about being in church. There's nothing magical about that. I mean, you could be... Uh, sitting in a church service and your life just be so far full of sin. You could be here for all the wrong reasons. You could have no day-to-day uh, -day fellowship with God. But I do know this. When Christians start walking away from the church, it's usually, it's usually because they're in sin and they don't want the accountability or they've grown spiritually cold and they're heading towards the fall. There is a connection. There is a connection. You know, Jesus told us that the world would know that we're his disciples by the fact that we love one another. So that our fellowship, our relationship, the way we treat each other is designed to be a witness to the world. 
It's also designed to be a protection from the world where we don't try to do this life alone. And so what I want us to see in Scripture today is that the church is not a physical building, but it's a spiritual family made up of people sharing a common life in Christ. That's part of what it means to be the church. Not a physical building, but a spiritual family, the, the people who are partnered together in Christ, share a common life in Christ. That's the meaning of the Greek word koinonia that's translated fellowship, a partnership, a connection, a commonality. We have a common life together in Christ. So let me just kind of uh, show you a couple of passages of Scripture that kind of show us the truth of that. And then we'll uh, get into Acts chapter 2 and look at some ways that we can live that out. So 1 John chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1, the Apostle John puts it this way. He says, that which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He's talking about his personal eyewitness experience and, and, and testimony of Jesus Christ. He says, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He's talking about Jesus being the eternal God who was manifested, who came as a human being. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. And here's the purpose of this declaration, of this testimony. He says, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 14, he says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made both one. He's talking about he's brought Jews and Gentiles together into one body, the church. He says he's broken down the middle wall of separation, which would have been a reference uh, to the courts of the, uh, of the temple, but making a spiritual point that in Christ, there's no barrier between us and God, and there's no barrier between people. We're, we're like, uh, in one sense, like a, a new humanity, the church, the people of God, uh, children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. He says he's abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now, skipping ahead a couple of verses, here's how he applies it, because he uses the word therefore. He says, now therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Again, it's a spiritual building. It's a spiritual temple. It says, in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so, you know, this fellowship is an actual reality, this common life. It's vertical with Jesus. It's horizontal with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, essentially, if you think about the cross and you know, just, just by way of, of example, if you think about the cross, it's like, you know, the vertical beam reminds us that we're connected to God through Christ. The horizontal beam reminds us that we're connected to each other through Christ in fellowship with God, in fellowship with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, children of the Father. That's who we are. That's what it means to be the church. Now, the question then becomes, 
how do we live that out? And Acts 2 is really uh, an action-oriented passage. It's describing how the early church was functioning, and it's a model for how churches are to function today. So let's read Acts 2, 42 through 47. And I want to point out to you from this text three expressions of this fellowship, three ways that, that we can live out this common life that we have in Christ. So it says here, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, here's that word, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily, and hang on to this phrase, with one accord, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So again, how do we live out this fellowship? How do we live out this common life? How is it expressed in the life of, of a local church? Three ways. Number one, fellowship is expressed by unity. Fellowship is, is, is expressed or exhibited by unity. Again, this is based on this phrase, with one accord. Okay, so Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, which is how we're to treat each other. And then notice this, he says, endeavoring, which means to make a, a strong effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I want you to notice something about this. He doesn't say endeavoring. He doesn't say work hard to gain the unity of the Spirit, but to keep the unity of the Spirit. Do you understand? By virtue of our position in Christ and in the body of Christ, by virtue of the fact that we've been reconciled to the Father, reconciled to one another, been made one in Him, we're united in the Spirit until we break that by our sin. So, are you keeping the unity of the Spirit, or are you breaking the unity of the Spirit? You know, I don't want to be guilty of breaking unity in the body of Christ. You know, Jesus prayed for all of us, the church, to be one. You know, I don't want to, uh, you know, go directly against something that he prayed for. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how uh, good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. So, what I want to talk about for a few minutes, just to be real practical, is how do we keep the unity of the Spirit and, and to actually live in one accord? And there's probably a lot of things to talk about, but I just want to point out four things to you here. One is to live obediently under the lordship of Christ. Jesus is the Lord of the church. In, in Colossians 1.18, the Bible says that he's the head of the church, that he deserves the, the preeminence in, in all things. 
And so this is my thought. If Jesus is the head of the church, if he's the Lord of the church, and if we know, we talked about this last week, that the blueprint for how we live is found in the Bible. That's his, his authority is expressed through that. It's his instruction manual. So it would seem to me then, if we're in submission to uh, the same Lord, following the same word that he has given us, aren't we going to pull together then in the same direction? But if I'm doing what I want to do, if I'm functioning according to my opinions instead of the word of God, and you're doing the same thing, either we're going to butt heads or we're going to pull apart. And so, and I understand we, we may understand some things differently in Scripture. We're going to get that to that in a minute. Or uh, we may perceive God's will in different ways at different times. But I think if we are mutually submitted to the Lordship of Christ, committed to obeying Him, that generally we're going to be headed in the same direction. But if we're not submitted to Christ, we're not going to get along with each other. I mean, if we've got our own agenda then we're going to end up causing problems in a church. Second, be in one accord doctrinally, you know, meaning to agree, uh, agreeing on the essentials of the faith and charitably agreeing to disagree on secondary matters. Be in one accord doctrinally, uh, agreeing on the essentials of the faith, and charitably agreeing to disagree on secondary matters. Now, we talked about this last week. We looked at Jude uh, verse 3. talks about the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So there are certain things that if we don't hold to, we're not actually saved. There, there are the fundamental essentials of the faith. And when people depart from those, uh, they're to be considered like they're not even Christians. Romans 16, 17 says, Note those who cause offenses among you, uh, who, I'm paraphrasing, who don't follow the doctrine that's given and avoid uh, them. So, you know, if someone denies the Trinity, if someone denies that the Bible's the Word of God, if someone denies that Jesus is fully God and fully man, if someone denies the substitutionary atonement of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ, the literal return of Christ, if someone adds to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, or takes away from that in some way, uh, just things that you have to believe in, in order to even be a Christian, then they really shouldn't even be considered to be part of the church. But in most evangelical Bible-believing churches like True Life, that's not the issue. Right? That's part of the reason why we do a membership class. And uh, once in a blue moon, we'll have to say to somebody, you can't be a member here because you don't agree with our statement of faith. But usually the issue in evangelical Bible-believing churches is there's also secondary matters, things that aren't spelled out in the Bible, and are we going to divide over those kind of things, or are we going to be charitable and agree to disagree? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, how many church fights really are there over, um, you know, the, the virgin birth or substitutionary atonement, the resurrection of Christ? I mean, most churches have those things established. I mean, if they're Bible-believing churches. But there's 10,000 other things that uh, 
you know, our secondary matters that aren't matters of salvation that we can find uh, to fight over. And he's saying, don't. Romans 14.1 says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. In other words, he, he's saying, don't argue over, don't dispute about gray areas. Uh, you know, if there's something that's not absolutely spelled out in Scripture or some detail or some nuance of interpretation or, you know, it, it could be kind of like that uh, the return of Christ, I mean, that's an absolute. Some of the details uh, uh, of that, you know, Will Roach and I can agree to disagree over uh, when the rapture is going to take place. And he can be stuck here while the tribulation's going on because he's wrong about it. But, you know, we can laugh about it, agree to disagree. Maybe we, we, we're probably both wrong, right, Will, when, it, when it's all said and done. But, you know, there's things like that that, uh, you know, I, when Robert and I went to the Tennessee Baptist Convention annual meeting in November, um, was there for part of the pastor's conference and I've been in another part of the venue talking to some people and walked in while, while a guy was preaching, didn't hear his whole message, but his name's Chris Phillips, he's a North American Mission Board church planner in, in, in Denver, and, and he told a story that, that I think illustrates this well, talking about what he had shared in, in some context about um, a, a single mom and her daughter getting saved, God doing a great work of transformation in her life and baptizing the mom, and then the mom baptizing the daughter. Now, this is a great example of a gray area. Who gets to baptize who? Like, at, at True Life, the way we approach it is, uh, you know, pastors and staff, that's, that's who does baptisms. And there's reasons for that, but it's not a biblical absolute. You know, some churches let whoever, uh, you know, family member, or somebody leads somebody to Christ, you know, baptize somebody, that, that's what they did. And, you know, I have no qualms uh, with that. Again, there's reasons why we do, uh, do it the way we do it, but it's probably more practical than it is. It's not a biblical absolute. But in whatever uh, context he had shared this story about, you know, this is something God's doing in our church plant, he said one day he got a call from a pastor, uh, and the pastor was basically questioning him as to why he would let uh, this mom baptize her daughter. You know, she's not a pastor, whatever his, his argument was uh, about it. And he said he heard him out, you know, he's a NAM church planner sponsored by the Co-Offered Program, and, you know, feels like he has a responsibility to listen to people and, and, and whatnot. But after he heard the guy out and they talked about it, he, he said to, the, to this pastor, he said, wouldn't your time have been a whole lot better spent today sharing the gospel with somebody or ministering to somebody where you are? instead of calling me to talk to me about something that has nothing to do with you and your field of ministry. And that's how we ought to approach gray areas, disputable. Don't waste our time. If somebody has a different viewpoint, so be it. I mean, and, and I think today one of the biggest problems with the, the social media world is we think we're supposed to have a voice in everything. And um, that's... That's arrogant, and it's delusional. I mean, there's certain things that God's called me to do. And, and listen, I, I think if you're doing everything God's called you to do, you're not going to have a whole lot of time to meddle in everybody else's business, which is our national hobby as, as a country at this point. Christian, non-Christian, we're not any different when it comes to this, but we ought to be. So 
stand firm. I mean, there's some things that, you know, there's some hills we're going to die on at True Life. I don't care what the world says. But there's a lot of things we can just agree to disagree with each other on. Third, pursue the one mission that Jesus gave the church together. Realize we have one mission. Now, how churches pursue this mission is they may do it a little bit differently, but our mission is go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's our one mission, period. And if we can unite around that, then that eliminates a whole lot of friction. One, because we're not fighting over what we should do. And two, the more focused we are on fulfilling this mission, the less we're going to care about arguing with each other over stupid things. Um, I heard Danny Aiken speak at Carson Newman on Tuesday, and then he was doing a Q&A with some questions afterwards. And he said something that's so true. The more that churches are focused on fulfilling the Great Commission, the less problems they have in their church. If we realize that the reason we are here is because there are billions of people around the world that are headed to hell, and we're called to reach them and help them to grow and then help them become disciples who make disciples and plant churches, and that's the point of all of this period, what in the world do we have to fight about here over stupid little things? And then four is be committed to do what it takes to maintain relational unity. Again, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I'm going to give you my favorite illustration on this. Some of you have heard it before if you've been around True Life for a while, but a lot of you are new. So uh, they're usually in the first service. I wish it was here because it's more fun to tell them at the room. Uh, But uh, one of our elders is Rusty Arwood. Okay, Rusty and I have been friends since we were 10 years old. And uh, so, uh, you know, we grew up playing basketball together. And um, so one, one day, we were probably about 16, 17 years old, me and Rusty and one of his cousins, whose uh, name is Mark, who's just a big bear of a guy, one of the strongest people I've ever met. And um, his uncle, uh, Jimmy, who was kind of a little wiry guy, but I mean, he was a you know, full-grown adult with man strength. The four of us were playing basketball at the Tally Ward Rec Center in, in, in Morristown. And so, so we're playing two-on-two, and in the middle of one of the, the games, Rusty and his Uncle Jimmy got in a fight, like a full-scale um, fist fight. And um, so apparently my spiritual gift is not breaking up fights. Uh, you know, probably my second career, if you guys get rid of me, is not going to be to be a bouncer because I'm just kind of standing there just kind of watching them, and, uh, you know, like, Mark's like, you got to break them up, uh, and, and so Mark, this big, strong guy, I mean, he, he grabs Rusty, and he just completely, you know, just kind of wraps him up and engulfs him, except his face, and so I grabbed uh, Jimmy, except I grabbed him around his waist, and so I was holding his body back, but I didn't have his arms corralled, so while Mark's holding Rusty, <laughs> Jimmy's still hitting uh, R- Rusty, and uh, so, you know, they, they got in a fight, you know, like, well, you know, why do we need to hear that in the middle of the sermon, well, here, here's kind of the point of it, two things, one, this is the crazy part about it, they were on the same team, 
they weren't playing against each other. You say, well, how, how could that be? It's pretty simple. Two shooters, one ball. Fight. <laughs> I mean, and they literally, they're on the same team. They got to fight with each other. It's kind of ridiculous, right? Well, that's what disunity in the church is like. Two people on the same team. Two people part of the same family fighting with each other. But here's the other thing. They made up and finished the game. We went right back to playing. I mean, the guys understand that. I don't know if ladies do. But, um, I mean, we, we finished the game. I mean, they're good friends today. They, they moved on. And so uh, the point of that is sometimes in relationships, we're going to have difficulty. Sometimes we may fight. We may get crossroads with each other. We may have a misunderstanding. We may actually do something wrong. How do we deal with it? Well, according to Scripture, Matthew 18, we talk to each other instead of about each other. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Talk to each other, not about each other. Most things can be solved that way. And he goes on to talk about they won't listen, bring in witnesses, eventually take it to the church. Again, if we're obedient to Scripture, following Jesus, anything can be worked out. And then also, ask for forgiveness and forgive each other as needed. Jesus said in Matthew 5, starting in verse 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there to remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So, if we'll live under the Lordship of Christ, if we'll you know, stand firm on uh, the faith, but agree to disagree on disputable matters, if, uh, if we will uh, forgive and talk and, 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 and be willing to work things out, if we'll pursue the mission that Jesus has given us together, then we can live together in unity and, and, and harmony. And, um, you know, I honestly, I praise God. I think, really think this is one of the strengths of true life. But, again, it can go in a heartbeat. So I would encourage us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, second, I have to hit these last couple of things quickly. Fellowship is expressed by taking care of each other. Fellowship is expressed by taking care of, of each other. Um, I mean, look at what it says here. It, it says, all who believed were together and held all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among one another as they had need. They met each other's needs. Now, uh, don't go overboard with this. Sometimes people will say, does that mean i got to sell everything? Or, or, or did they practice some kind of communism here, you know, communal living where they didn't own anything? Uh, and I would say no to both of those things. Why would I say that? Well, if you look at verse 46, it says they were breaking bread from house to house. Not everybody sold their house. In Acts chapter 5, verse 1, you remember that story where Ananias and Sapphira, you know, sold a possession, but they lied about it, kept back part of it, and God killed them uh, for their hypocrisy? Well, uh, Peter said in Acts 5, 4, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? The Bible says nothing against 
private or personal ownership of property. We see that here. Acts 11, starting in verse 27, it says, In these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and, and, and Saul. And so notice what it says. It says, each according to his ability determined to send relief, which means they made a deliberate, conscious, and voluntary decision to help out their brothers and sisters in Christ who were in need. This is the point. We're called to give and receive ministry as children of God and as part of the body of Christ. Listen, if, if you're a Christian, you're called to, to know and be known by other people. You can't know everybody in a church unless you, it's a really, really small church. And, uh, you know, that's not even realistic and it's not even biblical. I mean, uh, by... Uh, Four or five chapters into the book of Acts, they have tens of thousands of people. Everybody didn't know everybody else. But you need to be known and to know some people and to share life together. And when there's a need in the body, we're called to meet it. Listen to me. You're also called to be humble enough to share a need when you have it. Sometimes people get mad at churches for uh, not meeting needs that nobody knew about. Sometimes, you know, people like, I wish a church would minister to me. Well, are you connected enough for people to know what's going on in your life? And don't expect people to be mind readers. But, you know, when Robin shared testimony in our anniversary service at the beginning of the year and talked about, uh, you know, people meeting financial needs, giving cards, letting people uh, live with them, just being there for each other, sharing burdens, praying for I mean, all that's true. We've experienced it personally, you know, time and time uh, again. You know, even as we read Acts chapter 11, remember, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we've sent money to Honduras and Uganda to help our brothers and sisters in in Christ who are in need there, doing the same thing that they were doing in, in Acts chapter 11. That's how we express, that's how we live in fellowship with one another. That's what it means to be uh, the, the church. And then last, fellowship is expressed by gathering together with other believers. How do we do that? We do what we're doing today. We gather together in, in, in corporate worship. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24, 25 tells us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But, but you know, it says here in Acts chapter 2 and 40, verse 46, 47, daily in the temple. Daily with one accord in uh, the temple. Um, you know, sometimes Christians think that it's, it's just a huge deal to make it to church once a week. That's just meeting together every day. I mean, gathering the first day of the week on the Lord's Day, unless there is just something unavoidable, just ought to be one of our foundational commitments to Christ and to his body. To come and worship Jesus because he rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And again, the way... You know, this contributes to fellowship is sometimes you, may, sometimes you may be here and you need somebody to minister to you. Sometimes you, there may be somebody sitting near you that that's who you need to minister to. 
we need each other. Josh Howes has written this, it's so true. He says, if you want a stick to stop burning, all you have to do is remove it from the pile of other burning sticks, and it'll quickly burn out. Same with Christians. If you want the flame of your faith to stop burning, just remove it from proximity to other burning Christians. It'll die fast. It's true. Gathering together in corporate worship. Gathering together in small groups. It says in verse 46, they're not just in the temple, but they were breaking bread from house to house. Acts 5.42, Acts 20.20 says very similar things. Daily in the temple and in every house, they do not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Acts 20.20, Paul said, I taught you publicly and from house to house. Listen, if you want to really experience ministry as it's designed at True Life, you have to be in a small group. Sunday mornings are important. It's one facet of it, but it's just one facet of it. Sunday mornings are uh, a time for us to gather as a whole church, worship Jesus, and hear God's word taught. Then through the week, there's times to gather with a small group of believers to study, to pray, to fellowship, to minister to each other, to live life together so that, you know, other believers are helping you grow in your faith, helping you flesh this out in your life, or there together with you when when life is hard. That's the purpose of small groups. Listen, we're not a church for everybody. There's a whole lot of things we don't do, and if you're looking for those things, there's dozens of other churches around here where you can find them. We are unabashedly not a church of programs. We're a church that we are built on relationships. Our, our, our goal is to be disciples who make other disciples, and we think discipleship happens in the context of relationship. That is our philosophy of ministry, that we are a church of small groups. And I would just you know, beg you to get plugged into a small group. I would rather you be in a small group and you come and hear me preach. I think they are that important. Now, again, I think it takes both. That's how our ministry is designed. But that's why we don't do multiple services during a week or those kind of things. We want to, you know, Sunday mornings, gather and worship, minister to the kids, minister to the next generation, and uh, do missions. But then uh, do small groups, make disciples, help each other uh, to grow. But understand, small groups also, and, you know, our small group leaders are some of my heroes, but small groups contribute to the overall mission of the church. You know, I've been able to go to Honduras uh, 40 times in the last however many years. I'm getting ready to go to Uganda and, you know, still be able to pastor a church in a couple of small group leaders. They're doing the day-to-day pastoring. Here's a simple example. Philip asked me, Pastor Philip asked me about somebody recently. He said, I haven't seen him in a few weeks. What's wrong? I don't know. I haven't seen him either. Uh, and I know they're about to have a baby, and maybe they're just, you know, kind of being careful with COVID and everything with the baby. So I asked the small group leader, and he said, well, they've had the baby, I don't know, a week or two ago. You know, obviously, Philip and I know everything that's going on uh, all the time. Uh, but you understand, it would not be a good thing if we know everything that's going on uh, all, all, all the time. And he's like, nah, small group's got to take it care of, got a meal plan going on, that kind of thing. And you understand, that kind of ministry scales. See, because we can uh, minister to people and reach more people and minister to those people and reach more people as long as people are getting plugged into a small group. And, you know, there's only so many people a pastor can minister to hands-on, but if everybody in the church is being a minister and everybody or most everybody's plugged into a small group, we can minister to each other, we can reach more people outside the church, and we can make disciples, we can take care of our people, and we can reach the world at the same time. Small groups are infinitely scalable. You know, uh, 
whole lot cheaper to have small groups meet in a home than have to build some mega building to house uh, everybody in a Sunday school on campus. So, that's our strategy of men. But again, the point is, if you're a Christian, you're in fellowship not just with Christ, but with the body of Christ. In other words, when you got saved, you may not have been signing up for this, but you got a bunch of other Christians in the deal. And God wants you to be plugged into a local church, living in fellowship with other believers. So, are you being ministered to? Are you sharing your needs? Are you ministering to other people? Are you in a small group? Maybe some of you need to do what Jacob mentioned uh, at the beginning and get plugged into uh, a Discovery True Life class. Sign up for that. Find out if True Life is the place for you. Maybe some of you aren't Christians. And, and you don't have a relationship with the Lord. You're not connected to Him. The way to him is through Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you uh, to talk to me or talk to somebody you know when, when we're finished. Or, um, you know, if you're online, connect with our host. You can text TLC Decision to 94000 to let us know that you'd like to talk to somebody about that. If you'd like to get plugged into a small group, I mean, if you know a small group leader, talk to them. Or fill out the connection card. Or, again, text 94000 to uh, or TLC Decision to 94000 and you know check the small group blanks and one of our staff will follow up with you and help you find a group that would be a good place for you to get plugged in. So uh, let me pray for us. We could bow together.